0: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, October 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, protecting religious beliefs or discriminating against the LGBT community. Hear from both sides as plaintiffs vow to continue the fight over House Bill 1523.
2: It sort of harkens back to a darker period in Mississippi's history when the society was beset by discrimination. And now HB 1523 is encouraging further discrimination against the group of people that had been victims of discrimination for, for a long time.
1: Then in our everyday tech segment with rising cybercrime rates, learn ways to use technology to avoid getting scammed. And why restoration of one of the Mississippi Coast's barrier islands could protect against future storms and hurricanes. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's controversial House Bill 1523 is set to become law Friday, but the plaintiffs in the fight say they're taking it to the highest court in the land. In another attempt to block the measure, attorneys say they're planning to appeal a Fifth Circuit Court decision to the U.S. Supreme Court. LGBT rights advocates say HB 1523 discriminates against the LGBT community. The law, also called the Religious Freedom Bill, allows some government employees and businesses to recuse themselves from providing services to same-sex couples. Attempts to block the law have failed. Now that the Fifth Circuit has refused a rehearing, the law is set to go into effect on Friday. Jackson attorney Rob McDuff hopes to change that. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser the plaintiff's issue on the case. For
2: over a year now, we have been challenging HB 1523 because we believe it violates both the 1st and 14th amendments of the U.S. Constitution. It gives special privileges to people who hold certain specific beliefs, and it allows them to discriminate against LGBT people in certain situations without any consequences from the state. And initially, in June of 2016, we obtained an order from federal judge Carlton Reeves that blocked HB 1523 from going into effect. The governor appealed, unfortunately, in April of this year, a panel of the the appeals court reversed that injunction we asked the entire U.S. Court of Appeals, 14 judges, to reconsider that ruling on Friday. That was denied by a 12-2 vote, and we are now taking the case to the U.S. Supreme Court in order to restore the original order blocking HB 1523 from taking effect.
3: One of the concerns here for those who support the measure is that their religious beliefs may prohibit them from providing certain services. Does that resonate with you at all?
2: we already have something in Mississippi called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that does honor people's religious beliefs in most situations, allow them to act accordingly. HB 1523 goes far beyond that by giving special privileges only to people who hold certain anti-LGBT religious beliefs. That is completely contrary to the Constitution. We don't need something like that in order to protect people's religious freedoms. That's why we are fighting a battle against this law that I just think is that just encourages more discrimination rather than encouraging people to respect each other's differences and to act accordingly.
3: In the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, you had two judges dissenting. Was this a technicality or what was going on here?
2: There were two judges who strongly believed that the entire Fifth Circuit, all fourteen judges, should review the case further, but they were dissenting. Most most of the judges decided to wash their hands of it. And so now we're going we're going straight to the US Supreme Court to hopefully resolve this matter once and for all.
3: Does that put the law on hold until you get a response if they will take the case or not?
2: It does not put the law on hold. We're going to ask the Fifth Circuit to put it on hold while We go to the Supreme Court, but those sorts of requests are rarely granted. So I think there's a distinct possibility that the law will go into effect at the end of this week.
3: What will be your argument to present to get this to go before the U.S. Supreme Court?
2: We're going to tell the Supreme Court that this is a law that is divisive and that encourages discrimination and that our case raises important issues about the role of the federal constitution in preventing discrimination that favors certain people because they hold certain religious views and in preserving equal opportunity for all and preventing discrimination against certain
3: targeted groups. Attorney McDuff, thank you so much for speaking with us. Okay, thank you so
1: much. Rob Hill is state director for the Human Rights Campaign in Mississippi. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the bill makes discrimination into law.
4: It makes me feel horrible. It sends the message that this state doesn't value me. It doesn't value other LGBTQ citizens around our state. It's important to to note that there are no statewide laws that protect people on the basis of LGBTQ people um, from discrimination in the workplace or, for instance, uh, in a place of public accommodation or even they it can be denied housing. So that's already in place. LGBTQ people are already vulnerable. HB 1523 makes us even more vulnerable.
3: In talking about the bill with those that support it, they say that the focus is not on discriminating against the LGBTQ. Community, the focus is on protecting people with deeply held religious beliefs from being fined or being prosecuted for not providing couples with certain services. Right.
4: Well, we always point out that uh, we have robust um, religious protections in our country. You know, I'm not, nobody's going to make me do anything. If, for instance, a pastor, can marry whomever he or she believes uh, should be married or, or their, their domination uh, dictates? Uh, so we, we already have those uh, freedoms. We can believe whatever we want to in this country or not believe, for instance. But if you are in a taxpayer-funded role like a county clerk, it's your responsibility to do your job. Um, and and you have, that means that you have to serve all the citizens, including LGBTQ citizens. So that's just not an argument that has much merit.
3: Well, as a former minister, can you understand people of a certain faith feeling that uh, they shouldn't be compelled to provide services to same-sex couples?
4: As a pastor, I think that um, one of the basic tenets of my faith, the Christian faith, is Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a very loving thing to do. You know, um, we would be outraged if someone is denied service in a place of public accommodation because of their race and that's why we have federal laws that that protect us on on that uh, if somebody is denied service or or loss of a job or, or denied housing because of their, their race or because of their military status or because of their religion and things like that. We, as people of faith, should should do everything we can to want to serve everybody and love our neighbors. And so I don't. I think that if you are in a taxpayer-funded role, like a circuit clerk, your job is to serve everybody to serve your neighbor and to serve those who pay your tax, pay the taxes that pay you to do your job. I don't understand that. I think that, again, we have robust religious protections in our country, and that's something that I'm very grateful for.
3: Rob Hill with the Human Rights Campaign, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's good to be with you.
1: Governor Phil Bryant has said in a statement, the measure is perfectly constitutional. Republican State Representative John Moore of Brandon tells our Desiree Frazier the bill is not being accurately described.
5: It's being mischaracterized because what it does, it actually protects a person's ability to exercise their religion. And, you know, if a person has a moral or religious objection to doing something, then they should not be forced to do it with the hand of law. And that's kind of what this does. It protects the businesses and churches and individuals from having to do those things that they think are wrong.
3: Have you heard of cases that have come up where this issue has arisen?
5: No, I have not.
3: Do you foresee it being a real issue?
5: I see it as being a law that has very little impact. Um, It'll be very rare when it's actually used. And as a matter of fact, it probably is going to be more protective of the church situation where you, uh, churches will have policies and guidelines about things that they will allow to happen within their church and it might protect them from being sued.
3: There are concerns that those who may have disagreements with the lifestyle mm-hmm. may act in discriminatory ways or more maliciously towards the LGBT <laughs> community.
5: I think that the marketplace will take care of that. If you have a business and you all of a sudden start discriminating against a certain class of people or a certain category of people. All of a sudden, the, the masses don't really want to do business with a person that's like that, anyway. And I think it will be a very rare situation for a business that's actually in the business of making money and serving the public to refuse to do business with an entire class of people. Now, there might be that rare situation, but I just don't think it. I don't think it's going to be something that we'll read about in the news every day.
3: Mississippi would be the only state that has a law that goes this far. Any concerns there? That is an issue that draws negative attention to the state. Is there a concern that Mississippi is being seen as a state that doesn't embrace differences or diversity?
5: You know, at the end of the day, I don't know what we can do to impact what people think about Mississippi because they're going to think what they want to think. And ultimately, there are people out there that have given the opportunity to change the very name of our state. Because of the connotation of the, just saying the word Mississippi. And you almost have to just go ahead and, and do business and ignore people that wear their feelings on their sleeves all the time. Because I'm telling you, I've heard people say before, well, why don't we just change the name of the state? Because all you have to do is mention Mississippi in the national news, even if it's positive, good news, because of so much negative publicity that has been driven by the press over the last, I'll say the last 20 or 30 years for sure. It seems as if Mississippi can do no right. And I know there's a lot of positive things going on in Mississippi. And I think the relations, of the, especially the race relations in Mississippi, are a whole lot better here than they are in, in a lot of other states. But uh, we're the ones that seem to be branded all the time as being as inferior, if you will.
3: Well, Representative John Moore, thank you so much for sharing You're your thoughts well. with us.
5: You're very
1: welcome. Coming up, find out why restoration of one of the Mississippi Coast's barrier islands could protect against future storms and hurricanes. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy lotter anderson Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Everyday Tech on the Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing how to identify and protect yourself from scams. So Wilts, kind artists have been around from day one but now they're becoming much more advanced. How do we use tech to defend ourselves from being a victim?
6: Well, the big thing that we can do, Michelle, is utilize the resources that we have available to actually research what some of these con artists are actually trying to pull over our eyes. Like you said, con artists have always been around, but in a technologically connected world, they're able to increase their audience. And now it's just not the con artist in your town, but this could be a con artist from halfway around the world. So we have to use those same tools in order to combat them. For example, some of the common scams going on around us now, we have uh, our, our country's seen quite a few catastrophic storms hit in different areas. So you have a lot of different charities that are reaching out and they're asking for donations or offering to help. Or you have contractors coming around offering to help. We have... Credit reporting agencies that have been compromised, so you have a lot of information going out there asking for information from you in order to protect your credit moving forward. Utilizing technology, utilizing just the basic search engine and just talking to people will allow you to find out, are you donating your money? Are you giving your information to someone who is worthy of your trust? Because that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about con artists is we're talking about someone who is trying to prey on the trusting nature of people in general.
3: You mentioned
1: credit earlier. How do we protect our credit while shopping online?
6: Protecting your credit is definitely important, especially with all we're seeing in the news lately of credit reporting agencies being compromised and the possibility of your information being out there for someone to use for less than legitimate, less than honest purposes. We've really got to pay attention to what's coming in and what we're doing out there. We've got to protect that information. For example, you really are going to want to start watching now When you're receiving different email, because think about this. If you receive an email from someone and it says, dear sir or ma'am, you know, that's not a very personal message. However, if you were to receive one that says, dear Michelle, your mind's going to instantly go towards the, oh, this person must know me. I'm going to pay attention a little bit more. Well, now that this information is out there and been compromised, now people not only know your contact information, but now they can actually call you by name and make it more personal. So that con artist now gets one extra leg up on appearing legitimate when they're conversing with you. What are some resources we can use to protect ourselves? The first tool that really comes to mind is the online tool. Utilizing search engines, now you can also listen to the voice of so many other people either in your neighborhood, across town, across your state, or even across the nation or world. My first resource has usually been my local attorney general's office. All state attorney general's offices will actually have a consumer protection division that will actually assist if you feel like you have been a victim of a scam or a hoax. Whether we're shopping for the latest widget, researching a charity organization, or even looking into a new doctor that we've decided we want to try to go check out, we need to remember that there are opinions and options that are available. Now, you know some opinions out there are worth about what you pay for them. So we still need to take things with a grain of salt. But the bottom line is look into it. Be informed. Be connected. You can search online. You've got neighbors and friends and other people you can talk to. Make sure you're doing those things and you're acting on the facts and not just acting on an emotion or being pressured into that. I must act now. No, take your time. Utilize the tools you have available to you. Because while all of us want to stay connected, especially in a digitally connected world, we need to also remember that we all need to stay aware. There are still quite a few good things out there to be done and to be had and to be heard. And we do still need to have trust in each other. But there's nothing wrong with also doing a little verifying while we're at it.
1: We'll talk more about online scamming on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For What's Contraire, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A coastal project will bring critical protection to the mainland of Mississippi. That's according to Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman. He says the renourishment of Cat Island's East Beach is nearing completion. The U.S. Corps of Engineers project is expected to conclude in mid-October. In his role as state land commissioner, Secretary Hoseman spearheaded acquiring the acreage at no cost to the state in December of last year. The total cost of the renourishment project is about... About $16 million. Funding is provided by the Mississippi Coastal Improvements Barrier Island Restoration Plan. Secretary Hoseman tells MPB's Evelina Burnett more about the project.
7: Today is it's a historic day. You know, it's a great day for Mississippi citizens to, to now own this island and it'll be, it'll be owned by your grandchildren and my grandchildren in perpetuity. And I think that's a neat thing. It's a full circle. From no one knowing this island through different countries owning an island, different people on an island, and now the state owns the island. And that's the way it should be. It's about three and a half miles long. And so what we did was re-nourish sand that was here 20, 30, many years ago. We re the sand here with a view towards preserving the island. Now this is a, directly in front of Gulfport, Long Beach, Past Christiana, and Bay St. Louis. So having a strong barrier island is critical when we have another hurricane and we'll have one you know eventually but without this island being renourished we may not have had that protection
8: you mentioned there are also going to be possibly some positive impacts for wildlife
7: yes the red markers there are s- turtle nesting areas and those were protected during this dredging and uh, the environmentalists will tell you that turtles will nest in sand that is only a specific color So, or if it's too dark, it's only female turtles. If it's too light, it's only male turtles. So the balance gets out of range. So what they've done here is pumped in sand that looks exactly like the sand that was on the beach. And that came from a mile and a half offshore. They found a sandbar, did all of this testing and whatnot before they put it on here. So there's significant environmental issues that have been addressed by the Corps and by the state coming into this part right here. It's a phenomenal operation to add on hundreds of acres down here, and protect, protect the environment and protect the cities.
8: It seems like you really put a lot of thought and effort into Mississippi's Barrier Islands, not just Cat Island, but the others. How do you see that in terms of your role as Secretary of State?
7: When I first got hired by y'all, I, you know, I thought I was supposed to do some corporation stuff in the elections. I knew about the island and, and thought how cool it was, but I think it's important. The State Land commissioners Secretary of State. I think it's real important for them to take a proactive view towards this kind of thing. Instead of sitting back, and maybe we would have never owned this island, quite frankly, but by being proactive for the state, and I hope every secretary of state's that way, then we go, we go forward another step to acquire assets that remain here in perpetuity, protect the environment, protect the cities. And instead of just sitting in an office in Jackson, I just never was good at that. So I love coming down here. We'll be back for cruising the coast.
1: Thank you so much.
7: It's good to see you.
1: Cat Island is the westernmost of the Mississippi Gulf Coast's four barrier islands. The Department of Marine Resources, or DMR, will oversee the day-to-day maintenance of the property once renourishment is complete. DMR Executive Director Jamie Miller tells MPB's Evelina Burnett how the renourishment occurs.
9: You know, its primary purpose was protection for the island, so the island itself holds a lot of environmental treasures, you know, habitat, uh, flora, fauna, uh, but all that was in jeopardy because there was real no protection, you know, it hit it, the beach had eroded and so uh, storms and everything made it much more susceptible. So this beach is going to serve as a protection for all that habitat, one, and then it also creates some new habitat, bird nesting, uh, we've had some turtles show up, uh, and so it, it gives us benefit in both areas.
8: Will people be able to use this beach as well?
9: It is a state-owned island. This portion of the island is. It's also a coastal preserve. It absolutely will be open for public uh, access, and we encourage folks, as they've they've done for for many decades, to come out here and enjoy the island.
8: Will having this here have any impact in terms of storms?
9: This is the first barrier to storms as they approach the mainland. And so this was conceived as part of the Mississippi Coastal Improvement Program from the Corps, who was commissioned to design a a protection system. And so the first line of defense are these barrier islands. So the barrier islands needed to be restored. The beaches needed to be uh, brought back to a larger footprint to withstand some of that initial wave and storm surge action. It it diminishes some of the impacts of the storm. It doesn't, of course, do everything, but it is a plus.
8: Is this restoring something that was here already?
9: It is. Uh, I think if you looked at the footprint of the island, maybe, you know, 50 years ago, you had a larger beach, uh, the island, uh, of course, because of, you know, the dynamic nature of these offshore barrier islands shift, uh, and so they've added about 300 feet of beach to, to the area that had eroded, so we're getting back to it, a footprint that, that may have been here decades ago.
8: How long do you foresee it being here before it erodes again?
9: well you know mother nature has a lot to do with that depending on the activity in the gulf and storms that may come our way but i, I would say this this beach front and its its width and, and uh, elevation should be here for you know a couple of decades at least
8: and are there any risks to you know adding this beach back here
9: a lot of this was shallow water a lot of this area uh, a lot of fishermen wade fished here and that is still going to be available um, I, I only see positive impacts environmentally and protection. I, I, we don't see any negative drawbacks to what we've done.
8: When will this be open, or I guess completed, and then open to the public?
9: The uh, project is, is probably another 45 days away from being complete. They'll have to remove some of the infrastructure here on the island to make sure it's safe for people to access. Uh, and so I would say certainly by the end of the year, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a beachfront that people can come and enjoy.
1: For more information about Cat Island, visit DMR's website. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. At 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. At 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for
0: MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.